you're guests today, we're certainly glad you've come to be with us, whether you're in person or online, good to have you with us. There are a lot of reasons why I, I love College Hills Church. Uh, whenever I have an opportunity to travel and be at another church, I like other churches, but I love this church. And I love this church for so many reasons. I love this church because this is such an encouraging place. I mean, I, I feel that, and I hope you feel that as well. One of the other reasons I love this church is because I, I love seeing different generations in this church. This is not a church of all 20-year-olds or 30-year-olds or 60-year-olds or 80-year-olds. This is a church where we have all generations. Just look around, and you see some younger folks, and you see older folks. And we got to see an example of the generations at our church just a moment ago where Will Galbraith led us in prayer, and then Grant Galbraith, his son, came up and led us in our scripture reading. And Grant, you did a fine job, and we're just glad, uh, glad you got to read our scripture today. And so I love this church for a lot of reasons. And I guess one of the other reasons I love this church is because I know that this church has a heart to serve. And we got to see that yesterday. Well over... 240 families we got to bless. Uh, they came to our school store. We handed out uh, 573 or so backpacks. And, uh, and I just, yesterday, couldn't have been prouder of, of not only how you all uh, reached out to folks, but I thought what a wonderful opportunity we had to be the hands and feet uh, of Jesus. And I appreciate so much uh, Nancy Ash, who spent a lot of time preparing for this, uh, and Hope Sampson, who worked alongside her, and a host of other volunteers who came together to just strive to be a blessing to folks. I think one of the most exciting things about yesterday was what happened in our four-year. In our four-year, it was like a, um, just a school of prayer or a, or a gathering of prayer. Every person, every family who came through and received a backpack, we wanted to spend time uh, praying with them. And so as I looked around our four-year, uh, I saw, you know, people, uh, 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 you know, who were, who were praying and just, just blessing folks. I looked around and saw, saw some of our elders who were there praying with folks. I looked around and heard other languages being spoken uh, in, in, uh, in, in prayer. Francis Garcia right there, he's leading a group of folks in prayer in that picture and others as well. Uh, and it's, it's just, uh, that's one of the reasons I love College Hills and I love having the opportunity to serve uh, and to, to, to be here. And so speaking of, um, of blessing others and having conversations with others, I mean, in that four-year a number of you, as you sat down with families, you would say, is there something I can pray for you about? Um, we're involved in a message series called Life-Changing Conversations with Jesus. And, and we're learning so much about how we can have these amazing and wonderful conversations. Certainly we're learning from Jesus as we watch him interact with various people, as we've watched him interact with uh, the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and Nicodemus in John chapter 3. We've learned as we've watched Jesus interact with last Sunday morning Levi and the Pharisees, watched him uh, interact with Zacchaeus and Thomas and others. But one of the things we're learning, and we're going to put this statement up on, the, up on the screen, we're learning from Jesus how to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. We, Jesus, we see Jesus doing this all the time. So, for instance, in John chapter 4, when he's with the woman 
at the well, he doesn't just talk about water and how water quenches our physical thirst. Suddenly, he's having this conversation with her about how you have this deep spiritual thirst. And understand, there's a water that's available to you. And it, it'll come forth from the inside of you. You can have that living water. Or we watch as Jesus has conversation with this crowd of folks. Jesus, he, tur- he turns a few loaves and fishes into enough loaves and fishes to feed 5,000 men and women. And then he makes that bold statement, I am the bread of life. Just like you have physical hunger, understand if you come to me, I'll meet that deepest hunger that every one of us in this room has. We, we learn from Jesus about how we might turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations, into deeper conversations. And yet I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking what I've thought. You're thinking to yourself, well, you know, Kevin, I'm not a perfect person. You see, we want to talk this morning as we bring this message series to a close about one thing that often prohibits or stops us from having these amazing conversations with people, and it's that sense that, well, who am I to talk with anyone else about Jesus? You don't know my past. You don't know my struggles. You don't know the things I'm going through. How can I talk with someone about Jesus when my life is not perfect and my life is not completely buttoned down? What I want to talk about today, and this sounds like a stark and harsh word, but what I want to talk about for a few minutes is failure. Because every one of us in this room, we've fallen short of God's glory. Every person sitting in a pew right now, we've experienced a measure of failure. Maybe you've felt that with regard to raising kids. Can we just admit that raising kids is a difficult thing? That all of us from time to time have felt a measure of failure when it comes to raising our kids. I remember when I first moved here. And this was just a few months before I had the good sense to ask Jana to be my wife. And before she said yes, and here I was with these three little bitty boys. They were six, eight, and 12. And one day we were on our way to school. And as you can imagine, little boys don't always get along well together. In fact, a lot of times they, they fight. I don't know how it is raising girls. Girls, I think, is different. Might be easier. I don't know. But anyway, when you're raising boys, I mean, they're constantly fighting and struggling with one another. So we're on our way to school. Everybody's in the car, and a fight breaks out in the back seat. And so I'm trying to calm them down. You know, my arm is, you know, roving in the back, trying to break it up. And finally, I realized one of the boys is the culprit, and he needs some discipline. So I pull off the side of the road. On our way to school, pull off the side of the road. Get my boy out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spank him. Right in the middle of that, about 14 cars from Friendship Christian come whizzing by. Five cars from College Hills members go whizzing by. And there, there's a new preacher out there in the, getting ready to discipline his, his boy. I felt like... A failure you have felt that way before in so many areas of your life and maybe you felt that way when it comes to being a follower of Jesus and so you think to yourself oh say okay so now I'm supposed to have spiritual conversations with people who are in my world and in my my life and so today I want us to look at an example of someone who failed 
And the person we're going to look at is not only, not only failed maybe in his life, but he, he failed his best friend. It's a story that we're pretty familiar with of someone who, when his friend needed him the most, he turned his back on him. This friend had painted such a beautiful future for him. He, he imagined this incredible future, and yet now he thought, my future is over. This story that we're going to look at today, it's a story of a man who threw away a chance of a lifetime. And yet, and yet it's also a story of redemption. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of second chances. And this person who blew it, this person who failed, will be used by God to do amazing things, to stand in front of thousands of people at one point and announce and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Of course, the person I'm talking about is this individual we're very familiar with in the Bible is Peter. And his story is found in John 21. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn to that passage of Scripture. John 21 almost serves as an addendum to the Gospel of John. It's almost like the Gospel of John ends in John 20, 30, and 31, and then we have this other story in 21. And this other story is so important and so significant. It's very familiar to us. When the chapter opens, I think Peter is a little bit confused. I think he's a bit discouraged. And so Peter, after all that's transpired, when we get to John 21, Jesus has gone to a cross and died. And now in chapter 21, Peter, he decides to go back to what he knows. He decides to go back to that life that he'd experienced before that was very familiar and comfortable to him. As John narrates the story, he helps us to see that Peter decides to go fishing. But Peter doesn't go along alone. We find out that Nathaniel goes with him, as well as the Zebedee boys, James and John, uh, and, then, and also uh, two others that, we, that are unnamed that go along with him. Thomas, uh, I think, uh, goes along uh, with him as, as well. And so, just a side note, one of the things we see about Peter is that Peter is this leader. He's an amazing leader. Uh, Peter is constantly uh, out front, speaking first, he doesn't always say the right thing or do the right thing, but, but he has this kind of natural leadership ability. And we see that even here. Peter says, I'm going fishing, and those other guys that are with him, what do they decide to do? They're going with him as well. And so it's early in the morning. Peter and his friends have been out all night fishing. It's not been a good night. They haven't caught a thing and so imagine how hard this is. Don't, don't imagine fishing as we know fishing, kind of this leisurely activity where we're sort of casting, you know, and, and, and reeling the fish in. No, no, this, this is their job. This is what they did for a living. They have these heavy, big nets and these, these big, strong men. They're grabbing those nets and they're throwing them out in the deep and they're, they're hauling them back in. They do this all night long and they haven't caught anything and so now as they're coming back from this night of fishing, they look and they see a figure, a lone figure, on the beach. And the lone figure speaks. He says, kids, you caught anything? That statement has a little bit of a sting to it. Have you 
caught anything. The person asking that question, he knows they haven't caught anything. It's accentuating their sense of failure. It's accentuating the fact that they've been out all night long, haven't brought in even one fish. It's softened just a little bit by how he describes these individuals who've been out all night. He says, kids. Now, your NIV, I don't think, does a very good job translating this. The NIV uses the word friends. Friends, have you caught anything? But it's, the question is more, the, the word is more like children, kids, maybe. Hey, boys, have you caught anything? And the question is asked, and an amazing thing happens. Really, it's one of the only times in history when a group of fishermen acknowledge the fact that they have not caught anything. Can can we just acknowledge the fact that perhaps, and I know I'm speaking to some fishermen right here, perhaps of all sports people, fishermen might not be the most honest. They don't even talk about the one that got away. Oh, no, but, but these guys, amazingly, they're honest. And they say no. And then the figure on the shore says to them, throw the nets out on the other side. They're already in shallow water. These are seasoned fishermen. These are men who've made a living on the water. They know you can't catch fish in shallow water. We hear the phrase, throw your nets out on the other side. Already in John chapter 21, we're thinking to ourselves, this story sounds just a little bit familiar to us. The life of Peter, the ministry of Peter, is bookended by two moments when Peter is out fishing. The first one is found in Luke chapter 5. Now, we looked at that several weeks ago in Luke 5. Peter is coming in with the others from out fishing all night. Jesus is on the shore. He's preaching and teaching, and it's, there's such a crowd that he realizes, if I can get in the boat, maybe I can be heard more. So he says, Peter, can I get in your boat? And so he gets in the boat with Peter, and he puts out a little bit, and Jesus preaches... And after he's finished, he says much the same thing. Put out your boat just a little bit and throw your nets on the other side. They hadn't caught anything, been fishing all night. They throw their nets out, and they have this huge haul of fish such that the nets begin to break, and as they're trying to pull these fish into their boat, the boat begins to take on water and begins to sink, and they need to ask their other friends to come alongside them. There's such a huge catch of fish. This story sounds much like that earlier story in Luke chapter 5. We know that in that first story, Peter's reaction is fascinating because now he realizes that the person in the boat with him is not just some person who knows fishing, who understands where the greatest catch might be. No, this person is none other than God come to the flesh, Jesus. And so when Peter understands that in Luke 5, Peter says, go away from me, Lord, and he bows I'm, a, I'm an unclean man. And then Jesus says to him, Peter, I've got great plans for you. Peter, I want you to do something more significant with your life. Peter, you're going to get to have some conversations with people that will be life-changing for them. Peter, you're not just going to be fishing for fish. Oh, no, from this point forward, Peter, you're going to be a fisher of men and women. Now, so much has transpired in these three years since that initial call. And here's Peter, and he's in 
in the boat, the lone figure, says, throw the nets out. They throw the nets out on the other side, and they haul those nets in. And what do you think happens? Those nets are teeming with fish. And suddenly, John, the one the Lord loved, John realizes the person on the beach is none other than the resurrected Lord. And John says, it's the Lord. And Peter, he, he immediately, he, he grabs up what he had taken off to fish, to work hard. He puts that back on, and he jumps into the water. He's not waiting with the others. The others are going to row their boat back to the beach. Peter doesn't. Peter gets, gets in the water, and he begins to swim as fast as he can to meet Jesus. And when he gets to the shore, there's Jesus. And what's the Lord doing? He's cooking breakfast. I don't know if this fits your view of Jesus. When we think about Jesus, we think about one who, who raises the dead. We think about the one who takes a few loaves and fishes and turns them into enough to feed 5,000 people. We, we think of Jesus, we think of this amazing teacher and preacher and miracle worker. This seems so mundane. Here is, here is Jesus now. He's on the beach. Peter walks up to him, and what's, what's he doing? But he's cooking breakfast. And by this time, the other disciples, they've made it back. And Jesus says, come, come have breakfast. And there's a fire going. John gives us, a gives us a fascinating little detail that's packed with significance that we dare not miss. There's a little charcoal fire burning as Jesus is cooking the fish. Peter walks up, he sees the charcoal fire. Phrase charcoal fire is used only two times in your Bible, twice in the Gospel of John. The other time it's used in John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, Jesus had been betrayed and Jesus was going through these various kangaroo courts, and Peter's following along behind. And Peter is standing at this moment by a charcoal fire. He's warming himself. And three times people said, don't, don't you know Jesus? I, I don't know him. I don't know him. Aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Not me, not me. Three times Peter denies the Lord beside a charcoal fire. And now Peter, he sees Jesus. He swims like crazy to make it to Jesus. He walks up on the shore, and there's Jesus. And what's he doing? He's cooking breakfast by a charcoal fire. And don't you know, a lot of thoughts and memories were flooding through Peter's mind. Peter knows he denied the Lord not once, not twice, but three times beside a charcoal fire. They have breakfast, they don't say a lot, and now it's following breakfast. And as you read John 21, you have this sense that now it's just Peter and, and Jesus. And they're about ready to have a conversation. You get the impression they've walked away and it's somewhat private. And here's what Jesus says to Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's interesting that, that Jesus does not call 
Peter by the name Peter, the name he had given him. No, he goes back to that more formal name. Jesus doesn't presume that the relationship will be what it had been. Jesus doesn't presume that the relationship will carry the intimacy that it once had. It's more formal now. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And we wonder, who are the these? Uh, maybe Jesus is looking at the boats and the nets and the fish. And he's saying, Simon, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Do you love me more than your, your career? Simon, I gave you a calling. It seems to me you've forgotten that. It seems to me you've gone back to your old life. Do you love me more than these? It's a great question for us to ask, isn't it? I'm speaking to some men right now who are so so into their career and that's important and that's good because you can support your family and you can make a decent living and that's wonderful but sometimes i wonder do we get so involved and so engaged in that that maybe we forget what god is ultimately calling us to do simon do you love me more than than these or, or maybe maybe when jesus is saying that jesus points to those who who are standing over by the fire he says simon do you love me do you love me more than these these men Perhaps he's wanting Simon to remember that moment when Simon stood in front of Jesus and the other disciples and he said to them, oh, these, these, they might deny you, but Lord, I will never deny you. And the irony is, not long after he had said that, what did he do? He denied the Lord not once, not twice, but he denied the Lord three times. Simon, do you love me more than these? And now contrasting with these three denials, Jesus asks Peter that simple question three times do you love me Jesus does not say as he speaks to Peter how could you I poured my my life into you and when I needed you the most you turned away from me he doesn't say that Peter aren't you sorry for what you have done that's not what he says Peter from now on from this moment forward will you try just a little bit harder will you do your best when tough when tough times come, not to turn your back on me, he doesn't say any of that. He asks the simple question, Peter, do you love me? Such a tender question. I have this sense that Peter, that Jesus' heart is on the line when he asks that. We sense the relationship is at stake. Do you love me? And Peter responds to Jesus by, by saying this, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. If you read the commentaries surrounding John 21, you know that some commentators and some, some preachers make a great big difference over the couple of different Greek words that are used. When Jesus says, do you love me? He says, do you agapao me? Do you agape me? We know agape love is that highest form of love. A love that's the love that says, I'm going to love you through thick and thin. I'm, it's not an emotion for me. It's a commitment. I'm going to love you when times are hard. I'm going to love you when you don't love me. I'm going to love you when you reject me. That's the kind of love I have for you. That's what the kind of love God has for all of us. That's what Jesus says. Do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. The word phileo is a a word that means brotherly love. And so some people want to say that Peter's not all in. I don't read, that, read it that way. Agape and phileo can be used interchangeably. I think what Peter is saying is, I love you, Lord. I love you like a brother. 
like you're my own flesh and blood. I, I love you, Lord. I think what we should emphasize more than the change in the word is the fact that Jesus asks Peter not once, not twice, but three times, do you love me? And how would you respond if Jesus asked you that question? Yes, Lord, I do. I think I do. I, I want to love you. And then we start wondering, what does that word even really mean? What does it mean when we say, Lord, I love you? Notice how Jesus responds to Peter. Notice, three times he puts up on the screen. Three times he'll ask, do you love me? And then Jesus responds to Peter. He says, take care of my, or feed my lambs. Jesus says, do you love me? Uh, 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 do you love me? And, the, and, he, and Peter responds, yes. He said, then take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I, you know that I love you, Lord, says Peter, says Peter. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. What does it mean to love the Lord? How would you answer that question? I think we get insight from this little passage about what it means to love the Lord. I think what he is saying that, that in order to love the Lord, you're going to love what the Lord cares about. You're going to love the people that the Lord cares for. You will feed and care for and nurture and, and put your heart out for his people, for the sheep. Well, why, why do we do all the things we do as a church? Well, why do we spend all the time and effort and money all year long to collect backpacks and to raise money for school clothes and to help all the families and the kids we do on, on, on the day of school? school? Why, why do we do all that? It's because... We want to love the people that Jesus loves. It's because we know that Jesus loves folks, loves people, loves those who, who need a, a hand up, not a hand out, who, who, needs, who need a little help as we begin the school year. And because Jesus loves them, when we love folks like, like Jesus does, we're in essence loving Jesus. That's what I told our group as we gathered before we went out and began serving on yesterday. I said, we're going to wash some feet. But amazingly, as we wash other people's feet, we're in essence washing Jesus' feet. Why is it that we are vulnerable and we take the step of faith and we have conversations with people who are far from God? We're talking with our neighbor and our neighbor's saying to us, you know, I'm really struggling with my kids. I, I don't know what to do. And while you may not know what to say, you can pray. And so you say at that point, well, can I pray for you? Can I pray for your kids? Oh, yes, I would love that. Uh, why, do we, why do we have conversations with folks that we work with who are struggling, maybe in their jobs? Uh, maybe, maybe they're having some difficulties at work. Can I pray for you? Oh, yes, I would love well, Why do we do all of that? It's because we care about people. The church is a gathering of men and women who come together to worship Jesus, to honor him, so that we can then go out and bless and care for others. It's one of the reasons I love this church, is I, I see us doing that in such specific and tangible ways. Peter's story, it's not so different from our story. 
And so I think we can learn from this life-changing conversation that Jesus has with Peter, and I think we can learn two things. We can learn this, first of all, that our failure does not have to be final. I'm speaking to some people right now, just like Peter, who had, had, had given up. Peter turned away from the call that God had put on his life. He'd blown it. He denied his friend three times. Friends, understand our failure does not have to be final because we believe the gospel, and the gospel is about second chances and do-overs. You might be saying right now, yeah, but you don't know, my life is such a mess. As the old preacher says, there's a message in every single mess, and so don't give up. Let's face it, every one of us, at some time or another, we've stood beside Jesus at that charcoal fire, and we're reminded of how we've blown it. There's some people in your life right now who have a hard time even coming through the doors of a church because their lives are so, so out of whack they think, I could never. And friends, we have an opportunity to tell them the church is not for perfect people. The church is for broken people who hear the gospel of Jesus and experience grace, and as a result, their lives are transformed. Our failure does not have to be final, but there's something else we learn, and it's this. We learn that if we truly love Jesus... We will love people. We will speak with and pray for and encourage and serve others. And as we do, we have the utter joy of knowing we're serving Jesus. When I read this story in John 21, there are two verses that I most often overlook. And yet I think there are two verses that in a strange kind of way really encourage Peter. And they're verses 18 and 19. We'll put them up on the screen. John 21, 18 and 19. This is what Jesus says to Peter. Very truly, I tell you. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and, and went where you wanted. But when you're old, I'll stop right there. This encouraged Peter, you see, because Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you're going to live to an older age. That's good news. But when you're old, he says, you will stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, said to Peter, follow me. In the beginning of the gospel, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. And now it's concluded the end of the gospel. Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Peter had blown it. Peter had denied the Lord. And Jesus said, follow me. What is this business about stretching out your hands? What does this have to do with the kind of death that Peter would experience? When he said, you will stretch out your hands, he is saying, in essence, you will go to a cross. Your arms will be stretched out on a cross. It's euphemism for helping us to understand that. And we wonder, well, how could that in, in any way encourage Peter? It was Peter who said, Lord, other people might deny you, but I won't, I'll die for you. And we know that in that moment, Peter not only would not die for him, he couldn't live for him. But Jesus looks at Peter now. He says, Peter, you've learned. Your life has been transformed. And one day you will. You will die for me. And Eusebius, that great church historian, tells us that Peter, when he was older, went to Rome. 
and that Peter did go to a cross. But when he was put on that cross, he told those Roman authority, authorities that as they were putting him to death, I am not good enough. I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. You turn me upside down. And they turned Jesus, or they turned Peter upside down. And he died in that fashion. Hear Jesus' question to you. Do you love me? If you do, you'll serve people and love people and help people and bless people. And as you do, you're serving Jesus. Today, if we have a need we can help you with, I'll be down front and we'll have elders in the back. We would love to have a conversation with you about any sort of spiritual matter. If you want to come to Jesus, if we can help you in any other way, come as we stand up and sing this song designed to encourage you. Let's all stand.